Hey, Redeem family, I hope you are having a wonderful weekend. I'm gonna make a bold prediction for those of us that live in the Pacific Northwest that summer has started. We don't have to wait till July 5th like most years. Let's hope that we don't get like, you know, a crazy uh, rainstorm here that changes everything, but welcome to summer for my Pacific Northwest friends. Hey, we're in our last week today on updating our operating system, where we've been looking at this impo these important passages where Jesus is sharing how we will continue this mission here on earth. And we're so excited that we're getting down to this point where Jesus is now going to pray over us. And so a few things as we read these passages, we just remember what we're talking about here as we looked at what our operating system should look like moving forward, continuing the mission. And so we've, we've looked at a couple things like he's going away, but he's giving us his spirit. We have to be disciples. We simply abide in him. We will face opposition, but we take heart. And that when we take heart, that we get this joy of the Lord. And like Eddie said, that we ultimately get eternal life, which is knowing the Father. And I was so thankful for that message last week from Eddie because he broke it down so much on what does it mean to be people who live with eternal life in mind. And so today, we're ultimately looking at this prayer over us as we continue the mission. Now, the question for us as Redeem is what does the mission look like for us moving forward, right? What does the mission look like for us this year? And we are committed, I've said this multiple times, that we are committed to equipping the saints, that's you and me, equipping us to do the works of this mission, because if we don't, nothing is going to change. Our neighborhoods, our families, our friends, our whole state, our nation is not going to change until we get on mission. And Jesus is telling us how to continue this mission, right? And so we have a plan. You're going to see it throughout the year. I'm not just talking about this stuff, but we're going to learn this stuff together. We're going to learn how we listen to God, how we're attuned with the, what the Holy Spirit wants from us corporately and individually. We're going to be discipling one another. We're going to be praying for healing together. We're going to be working on what is the prophetic words that the Lord has for us in each of our lives. And we're going to say, what does God want for us to do together? How does he want us to engage our community together? And ultimately, how does he want us to evangelize our community? Because it's all about sharing the love of God with those in our lives. And so that's what the mission looks like. When we use this word mission, that's simply it, that we are active together in our faith. Now, I summed it up like this, that we are spirit-led in our mission of doing his works, that we would be spirit-led in our mission of doing his works. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to envision something right now. I want you to, as you're at home, maybe you're with your family, I want you to envision that you're about to go on a mission trip. Now, many of you have maybe have gone on a mission trip, maybe you haven't, but there's always something that happens before a mission trip. You know, when I, I took my first mission trip, I went down to uh, help rebuild houses and clear brush uh, after Hurricane Katrina. So we were just a few miles outside of New Orleans, and we went and we stayed at a church down there. Now, we, the, the first day as we were going out, got my chainsaw ready. It was actually one of the more, more fun weeks because I got a chainsaw basically the whole week. 
But before you go out on a mission, before you go out to do something difficult, before you go out to see stuff that you wouldn't normally see, the church came around us. We were just a group of college guys that went down there and they came around us. And what did they do? They prayed for us. Now, there's a couple things that you have to keep in mind at this. One, there's a lot of humidity in New Orleans. And so we were, we were down there in Louisiana and we're sitting there. We got our jeans on because we're doing work. We got our long sleeves on because we're doing our work. It is the most humid uh, time that I've probably ever experienced. And two, I don't really like being touched. That's one thing that you have to know about me. Maybe if you see me at church, I'll give you a fist bump, maybe occasionally a hug. But like the touching thing, even though I'm from Indiana, I align with the Pacific Northwest people that I don't really like to be touched. But whenever you go on a mission trip, no matter how hot and humid it is, you always pray before and people often lay hands on you and they pray over you because they know how important the work is that we're about to do. Now, I want you to envision that you're about to go on a mission trip. Now, the cool thing about this is that we're in this prayer meeting and that Jesus is just giving us the instructions on how we're supposed to act and what we're supposed to do moving forward to continue this mission. And now imagine that Jesus is doing this for you, that Jesus is praying over you, because that's exactly what's happening. As we looked at these chapters, he's been downloading on us how we continue this mission forward. And now he stops and prays right before he heads into the crucifixion and to his ascension, and he prays for us. This is what he's doing. He's praying for his disciples and ultimately for us. So Jesus is praying for us as we continue this mission. So as we envision the future, I see this for our church. I desire this for our church. If there's one thing that I desire, it is that the Spirit is moving through each one of us, that we're getting called into places that make us uncomfortable, and that on a weekly basis, that we would be coming together, laying hands on each other, and praying for each other as we head into mission. Because this is what we see Jesus doing. And we can learn from him as we look at this. Like my boy Dave Meikle always says, hey, church is about coming together to huddle, to go out and run plays. It's about going on the offense, not just being on the defense. We don't huddle to just think about the next time we huddle. So I don't know where you are entering this, uh, serve, uh, this message. Maybe, maybe you're new to the faith and you're trying to figure out what this all means and how this operating system works. And I hope that you've been going along with us each week. If not, I encourage you to go back to the beginning and watch each week because these words are so important on how we operate as believers. There's many of you, and I know because I've talked to you, that had uh, missions and ministries that were happening in your life that were thriving before COVID, and you actually had to stop them. And now they're, you're having trouble even figuring out, are you supposed to start them back up or not finding momentum as you're starting them back up or not sure what you're supposed to do after this unprecedented year. And many of you, I would guess, maybe are in this dry season where you feel like you just haven't been living fully in your faith and you don't know what God exactly wants from you. But wherever you're at, I want you to hear these words that Jesus is praying over us and these important concepts of what he's praying over us. We need to listen to deeply to what Jesus is saying and dig deep in these concepts that jump out at us in John 17. So we're going to jump in and we're going to move quick and there's going to be a lot of verses. So I apologize, but hang in there with me because I think it will all make sense at the end. Now, the first concept, when we look at this prayer 
after what Eddie already shared about him praying for eternal life, that we would have eternal life, is that Jesus is recognizing again in this prayer that he never did this alone, that his mission here on earth was never alone. Let's look at it in John 17, 6 through 8. I have revealed, uh, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Jesus is acknowledging right here that everything that he did was given to him by God. His disciples, his words, his mission, his authority, all of this was given by God to him. In this prayer, Jesus is saying every word, every action, every opportunity was dependent on the Father. Everything he did was dependent on the Father. His whole ministry was dependent on this connection, on the Father in perfect alignment with him. That's what Jesus did. For our ministries to be faithful in producing fruit on an individual level as much on a corporate level, as individuals as much as us in church leadership, this oneness is what it takes. This dependence on the Father. It's not us forcing something. It's not us trying to do all these things. It's not our efforts. It's being dependent on the Father and realizing and acknowledging that everything comes from Him. Every opportunity, every action, every word comes from the Father. This was an aha moment for me. This was so important for us to see. We explored this in the final teachings of Jesus, and he's actually reiterating it. So it has to be important in this prayer. He's teaching us this is how it operated for him, and this is how it operates for us, right? So remember, John 5, we just talked about it a couple weeks ago, but I want to read it again. Jesus heals the man of the pool on the Sabbath. John 5, 16 through 20. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For the reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Jesus was under this operating system. And he's telling us that's how it's going to work for us too. He does what the Father does. And like we remember last time when I talked, that he also get this confidence that when we listen to the Spirit, that the same thing operates. John 16, 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, because he does not speak on his own. He speaks only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. We operate the same way that Jesus operates on this. When we talk about mission, it's not us forcing something, but it's us seeing what the Father's doing and doing it. Now, the second concept 
goes along with the first concept, but it's so important. I'm going to live on this con. I'm going to stay on this concept for a little bit here. As we imagine Jesus praying over us, as we head into this mission, he prays this important prayer. He prays that we would be one, that we would live in the same oneness as he is with God and the Holy Spirit. We enter into this oneness with them. It's a very strange concept, but it's something that I just want to unpack and think about what this looks like. He's inviting us into a relationship like never before. He, we're going to go back to the very beginning and look at how everything has, moved, has been put to this moment and that we actually get to live into these benefits of this oneness. We as disciples have to understand this because it takes our faith to a whole new level. Because this is how we're meant to operate as a church. That we as disciples need this oneness with the living God for our mission. We need this oneness with the living God for our mission. Jesus doesn't just call us to be out of this world. Jesus doesn't call us to be out of this world. He calls us to be Jesus in this world, right? He's not calling us out of this world. He's calling us to be Jesus in this world. Now let's look at this in John 17, 16 through 18 to see exactly what he says. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We are called to the same mission that Jesus had, and we are propelled by the Holy Spirit. Reminder that Jesus told us earlier about this idea in John 16, 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But I, if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus tells us as disciples that it's actually better that he, he were to leave. Because he's going to leave us the Holy Spirit. When, while Jesus was on the earth, he could only be one place at a time. But the advocate comes to us in the most intimate way, which is in us. The advocate comes in the most intimate way. He comes in us. And Jesus is saying it's actually better that he leaves so that when we continue this mission, we will have that power. It's revolutionary. For those that would have heard this, it would be revolutionary. I think it's something that we take for granted. But it's something we have to get because if we do not get this concept, we can't move forward in the mission that Jesus has for us. And we find this truth as we look further in the prayer. So let's look at Jesus is praying for us and he says this in John 17, 23. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, I want us to get our heads around this significant truth. The operating system is simply this, that Jesus is now in us. He says, I in them. He's working through us. And we see this pivotal moment in the story of humankind and God. This is a pivotal moment in the story of humankind and God. This moment where God's space enters human space. Jesus is telling us that, that the, uh, telling us, and he's praying for us, that we fully understand this concept. He's praying that we would understand this concept. 
This was what was supposed to happen since the foundations of the world, right? God's plan was always this level of intimacy with us. You know, God's desire was relationship. It's always been relationship. And so we see it in the flow of the Bible. And so now hang in there with me. We're going to look at this flow in the Bible, but we're going to go back all the way to the garden. All right. The creation was created in relationship. I'm sure you've heard this before, that the creation was created in relationship. But I want you to think about it from what the operating system Jesus is setting up moving forward. So Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creation that move along the ground. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, right? In creation, we find relationship, togetherness, oneness, right? We see that, that as it's creating, it's in relationship. A matter of fact, the truth is so important that John, as he's sharing the story of Jesus in his gospel, he starts out this way. When he's telling the story of Jesus, he goes back to the foundations of the world so that we understand Jesus in this. He says in John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. This is Jesus praying for us in John 17, the one who was with God, and through Him was the creation of the world. And now he's saying, I in them, that he's now coming into this in deep intimacy with us. And we look a little bit further in Genesis uh, 2, and we see that the intimacy that God desired for us with him. Genesis 2.8, even after the first sin that happened is committed, we see this garden moment where God is in close intimacy with humankind. Genesis 2.8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? In the creation story, we see the intimacy that God desired for his creation. He's walking amongst them in the garden with Adam and Eve. And the biblical story is this story of God's plan to get back to this intimacy right? He ultimately, in this beautiful prayer that Jesus does in John 17, he's alluding back to that intimacy that he, that he desires. Of course, throughout the Hebrew text, we see that God speaks to people, right? So we see it, we see it throughout the Hebrew text, but that we see that God speaks to Cain and Abraham, Moses, Noah, Samuel, David, there's, there's more, but you see that he still is in relationship, but there's this intimacy that he longs for each one of us. And these moments are deep intimacy that you see. But we see this interesting thing that happens in the narrative. And I'm going to go quickly through this, but I want you to uh, really think about what's happening here. So Moses builds this tabernacle, a place to worship God through the wilderness as they're wandering, right? And then David, 
we fast forward to David and he gets this vision to build the temple, right? He gets this vision to build the temple and he has his son Solomon actually build it. So let's look at it in 1 Chronicles 22, 1 through 4, and then we'll hit 6 too. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and for the joints, and bronze in abundance beyond measure and cedar trees in abundance. Fast forward to verse six. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. Now the idea of the temple was this, that God's space and human space would meet, right? That there would be this dwelling place for the God of the universe here on earth. And the temple was actually designed with this Eden in mind, right? that God would come and dwell, and that this temple would be the place that God would dwell on earth with his people. And the temple was this place that the Israelites could interact with God. Of course, you know as you fast forward the story, or, or maybe you read this, but the temple's destroyed, it's built back up, and now we go back to Jesus' prayer and what happens right after the prayer. And we'll come back to this but we'll end at the prayer and hang in with me because I want to see the spiritual significance of what happens here. He's about to do something amazing. And I was actually having coffee with my friend Brendan and he said, like we were speaking over coffee, and he said, we oftentimes don't approach the, narr- or the, the passion story in the, in the crucifixion and the, and the resurrection with just awe and amazement. And it's just an updating of an operating system that we fully can't get our heads around. And many of us that grew up with Christianity or been a Christian for a long time, sometimes we lose that awe and amazement. And so now these are the final words in this prayer before Jesus is about to get arrested. And this is what he says. And then I want to fast forward and look at what this intimacy looks like. He says, John 17, 20 through 24, my prayer is not for them alone. What he's saying there is not just for the disciples that are with him. Now he's talking about us, right? I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with you, with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is the purpose of us experiencing this oneness. Jesus in us, just like he said, God is in him. That's what we see. We see he's calling us to be unified as believers in verse 22. And that ultimately the reason this, this unity and that Jesus in us would be that we would that people would come to know the love of God because of the oneness that leads to this radical compassion and this radical servanthood 
and makes us witness into the world. And so he says that, pe- that people would come to know that Jesus was sent by God because of this love in verse 23. And ultimately, that we're going where he's going in verse 24 to see the glory that God has given him. This is the plan. That's the revolution that we see set to to take place, that this oneness does for us to continue the message, the mission. Now again, imagine yourself getting prayed over by Jesus right before the mission, and he's praying for us to have a oneness that God desired all along, okay? And as we fast forward, right after the prayer, Jesus is arrested, beaten, hung on a cross, dies, and then at the moment that that happens, we find Jesus in John 17, 30 saying, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his last spirit. And as that happens, Matthew actually records this important moment, Matthew 27, 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The oneness now takes place. The temple veil is torn. Since the beginning, this is the intimacy that God wanted. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and and ultimately his ascension, his resurrection, that we continue this mission and that we now don't have to operate in the old operating system, but we get the new operating system that Jesus is in us. And just like Jesus, we only do what we see the Father do, and we listen to the Spirit, and, we, we only, and He only says what He hears, and we get to be on mission together with the living God working through us. It's so important that we understand this. And I'm sure that we've heard this sermon before, but let's understand it in a whole new way, because nothing's going to change if we don't understand this operating system. Now, this oneness takes place. God is setting up this operating system for us, and what we see as we fast forward, then Peter actually breaks this down beautifully in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into spiritual houses to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, accepting to God through Jesus Christ. We now are the temple, that we're living stones, right? That we're spiritual houses, that we actually do the work of the Lord through us to carry out the work that each one has given, that that each one of us has received from God the Father, right? So how are we going to go about this? And as I end here, I just want to say we have a plan that over this next year, we're going to go deep in understanding what it means to be spirit-led to continue the mission, to do His works. Because that's what we want to be a church about. We want to be a church that not only is about coming up and huddling up, but it's going out and running plays. So over the rest of this 2021, we're going to be doing the work and growing together and listening to God, being led by the Spirit, and being expectant that miracles are going to happen, and that healings are going to happen, and that prophetic words are going to happen. And I want to invite you in on that journey. This is the model that was laid out. And so I wanna pray over you, much like Jesus prayed over us, that we may know that Jesus is with us and that he's helping us carry on our works. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, would you help us 
to understand this important truth today. Lord, that as you are calling each one of us on an individual level and us as church leadership, Lord, that you would renew your spirit within us, Lord Jesus, that we would understand this oneness and that we would understand our call to carry out the mission that you've given each one of us. We love you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, y'all, I love each and every one of you. I wanna say next week we start a new sermon series called Rebuild. The whole idea of this is we're surrounded by broken things, especially now more than ever. And so what are we, we're looking at Nehemiah and five important leadership lessons on what it looks like to lead when things have been falling apart in your life. And so as we continue to update our operating system, we're gonna be looking at how do we stop with a spirit of passivity and move forward in leadership to rebuild what God wants us to, all right? Love you all, we'll see you next week.